Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I believe I mentioned this the other day as a part of our SEC through, and I don't know why I let stuff like this bother me because ultimately it's not all that important, but I guess I do kind of notice this from time to time. There was a story at CBSSports.com, and it was looking at all the freshmen to watch in the upcoming spring games across college football. And there were like, I mean, a good number of names mentioned, 10, 12 names, something along those lines. And you're kind of scrolling through there. You want to see which Georgia guy got mentioned. You're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling, and you get to the end of the article. You kind of get down there to where those like, clickbaity things are about you know like hey you, know, you won't believe this one weird trick to get rid of acne or whatever the thing is down at the bottom uh you finally kind of get down to all that stuff and you're like wait did i miss the georgia guy so you sort of scroll back up to the top then you're gonna go slowly through the list again and you realize wait a second there's no georgia name being mentioned here there's the arch manning which you'd expect to see and there's the this guy from that program and that guy from that program and you're not really you know all that surprised to see some of those names but you're left to conclude well how is it that the back-to-back national champions who had, what, like the number two recruiting class uh, for the class of 2023 uh, with, what, what, somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, 2021 early enrollees, whatever the overall total number is, how could that school not have one of the key freshmen to watch for an upcoming spring game? We sort of felt like that was kind of an example of what sort of seems to happen sometimes, which is, you know, some of the Georgia stuff sometimes doesn't seem to get the full attention of the national media the way we think it probably should. But we're also probably a little thin skinned about that from time to time. But either way, we are going to do today what the national media doesn't do or didn't do in this particular case. And ultimately, that's why shows like this probably exist and why we've been able to find an audience over the years is because, uh, frankly, there's never quite enough Georgia talk uh, for the average Georgia fan. And certainly the national media sometimes stops short of delivering on that the way they could. So since the national media doesn't seem to be all that aware of what uh, the freshman to watch for this upcoming Saturday for G-Day is. How about we give you a few of those right now? Because admittedly, this has been a very interesting spring for Georgia when it comes to some of these newcomers. There are a lot of guys who seemingly are earning some buzz, and there's a small handful of guys who, man, oh, man, they're really getting a ton of big buzz right now. I want to start with, on Friday's show, Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, I asked this question to Jeff Sintel, and and in fact, I kind of set it up the same way I just set it up for you guys right here. I said, Jeff, it seems like some of the national media types may not be quite aware of the freshmen that George's going to have on the field on Saturday. So in your mind, give me the names that you're most interested in seeing. Now, Jeff went on for about three and a half minutes on this particular topic, so I I can't play everything that Jeff played for you. I do think it's worth uh, you going back and uh, checking it out yourself, but I did want to play you kind of a highlight here because I think Jeff mentions probably the top names in terms of guy who has really just generated a ton of conversation thus far this spring and then obviously there are other names in addition to this but to set the stage for the conversation here right now here is Jeff Sintel on his freshman to watch for G-Day on Saturday and I think this is pretty well reasoned on the part of Jeff let's go back and hear this to kind of set us up for where we want to go today I'm just going to underscore it in bold face in the town side maybe the shining star so far in terms of a surprise a burst it's been lost and lucky. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. He has turned a lot of heads. He had a big touchdown. He had some explosives. Uh, he's really ready to go. And um, that was no shock if you've been following a lot of our reporting on Lawson over the years. Um, Robinson is great, uh, especially because he, he's got a lot of tread on the tires. Be interesting to see what his weight looks like uh, at G-Day and how fit he is. 
because, um, man, Georgia could ever get him at like 225, 228, 230, right around there. He would be a really fast thunder bat, really hard to get on the ground. Um, but I guess the, the name I go to, Brandon, I kind of centers on the weight a little bit. I want to see how healthy how healthy and how fit Jamal Jarrett is because uh, Jamal Jarrett is somewhere around 330, 340 in his career. That's going to be the narrative we heard for the entire Jordan Davis career in Georgia. Kirby Smart and Travion Scott and just wanting to get the weight off of him. So I think that's really interesting, Jeff Sintel, on the idea of a guy like Jamal Jarrett, hey, if that weight's under control, if he's in the right physical condition, could be that kind of run-stopping space eater in the middle of a defense this season uh, that Georgia really needs. I'll remind you, back in 2018, that when Jordan Davis was in a similar role, hey, I'm trying to get my weight under control, I'm trying to be the best version of myself it can be, well, eventually, you know, about what, a third of the way, almost half the way through the year, uh, Jordan Davis did start playing a lot for Georgia and Georgia's run defense. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine there was a time in which Georgia wasn't like great stopping the run. Early 2018 was kind of one of those times which Georgia was probably giving up a handful of rushing yards here and there. Well, all of a sudden, when Jordan Davis, as a true freshman, when he stepped on the field for Georgia, all of a sudden at that particular time, all that stopped. And all of a sudden, Georgia got much better at the run. They've been, you know, very good in the uh, in run defense ever since then. The emergence of Jordan Davis, you know, kind of made that a possibility. And it seems like right now the narrative around Jamal Jarrett's kind of similar of, hey, for a big guy, making sure you don't get too big, especially when you first arrive into college, getting some of that high school weight off of you, uh, that's an important part of the story. But Jeff says Jamal Jarrett can be a very interesting player for Georgia at some point in time this season, and maybe we do get a glimpse of that there on G-Day. He also mentions Roderick Robinson. That's the name of a guy we've talked about quite a bit here because the narrative for G-Day in particular is veteran running back Kendall Milton, he's a little bit banged up. Veteran running back Dejon Edwards, he's a little bit banged up. So all of a sudden, a couple of running backs that I think Georgia fans are rightly fascinated with, the incoming true freshman Roderick Robinson, the second-year guy Branson Robinson, all of a sudden they're in a much more expanded role uh, in this game on Saturday. And you would never want – Kendall and Dejan not to be able to play but on this particular Saturday I, I think Georgia fans are probably a little bit more interested in the two Robinsons anyway in this particular case Roderick Robinson for sure because this was a guy if you follow it at the end of his high school career he was putting up big numbers out there in the state of California seems like he's gotten some interesting buzz coming in here to UGA and seeing what Georgia might have in this incoming freshman I do think is one of the things that makes G-Day really interesting on Saturday once again Jeff kind of cites the idea of hey making sure you're in that kind of pristine physical condition so you can be the best version of yourself but if we see even a glimpse of that from Robinson and listen it may not be some huge stat line because we as we said on yesterday's show we do expect Georgia to throw the ball a good bit on uh, G-Day that's what most fans want to see but in the case of Roderick Robinson then it may not be that you're evaluating him you know via stat line and the the total number of carries it may not be a million carries it may be you know seven eight nine ten something that there in that neighborhood but if in that small number of carries, if one of those is a highlight play, if one of those is a put your toe in the turf and make a man miss or lower his shoulder and turn a four-yard gain into an eight-yard gain, if that's what it is, then that gets the average Georgia fan pretty excited. Or if it's one of those things where – you know, we're kind of wondering who's the guy that catches the ball out of the backfield for Georgia here this year. That's been a big part of the Georgia offensive story the last few years. It's really been three different guys who've done that. You know, Kenny McIntosh last year, James Cook before that, Sony Michelle before that. Is there a guy who can be that weapon out of the backfield? Well, what if Roderick Robinson does some of that on Saturday? That would be, you know, kind of an interesting thing to see. That would kind of make him, uh, I think, an interesting freshman to note for what's going to take place then uh, this upcoming Saturday. Then, 
the name that mentions that, that Jeff mentioned right off the top there, admittedly probably the guy we've heard the most about thus far this spring, the work that Lawson Lucky's been doing as a tight end. I think mean, Jeff kind of articulates it very well, just how buzzy Lucky's time has been here at UGA. What has that been about? What what do you attribute that to? Well, if you want to go back to this past Saturday, Kirby Smart also talked about that too. He was asked directly about Lawson Lucky, the question probably coming on the basis of the fact that there's been so much kind of whisper and behind the scenes and, hey, did you hear about this and you hear about that? And a lot of that, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, uh, chatter around these Georgia spring practices has kind of related to loss and lucky. How come that is? Uh, Kirby Smart kind of shared some of those thoughts himself on Saturday about maybe where some of this buzz around loss and lucky is coming from. Lawson has grown up a lot. I think nobody benefited more from bowl practice than Lawson Lucky. He just said, you know what, I want to go I want to go bowl practice. He didn't miss one bowl practice. He was there every day, went everywhere with us, traveled with the team, uh, blocked people on the scout team, scout special teams. He, 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 you know, he jumped on seniors and fought them. And, um, he's grown up a lot, and uh, he's getting very mature quickly. He is not where he needs to be. I think he'll be the first to tell you that uh, he likes to – consider himself a tough guy and he's got a ways to go in order to be tough enough to be a physical blocker. He does have some savvy route running. He's got really good hands. Um, he continues to improve, uh, but he can't think that he's all the way there. So what Kirby Smart says there, I think is not surprising probably at all in terms of like savvy route running and really good hands. We had a chance to do uh, uh, a to Norcross. We had a chance to do his game in the Corky Kell Classic last summer right there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, a really good game against uh, Brookwood. And I saw that on full display. Lawson ran a great route, uh, went up and caught a nice sort of fade route in the corner for a touchdown, really looked the part of an offensive playmaker. So the idea that he's showcasing some of that during Georgia spring practice, I don't think that's really a surprise whatsoever. And I don't think it should be surprising at all to say for a guy who five minutes ago was in high school that while maybe he's showcasing some of that offensive skill set, the idea of kind of lining up and now being a blocker, especially when you have to block the guys that play on this Georgia defense, that that part right now probably lags a little bit for Lawson in comparison to the part where you catch the football and you look really pretty doing that. You know, there's, there's obviously a real challenge to kind of trans, uh, you know, transition from the high school game where you may be the biggest guy on the field to the college game where everybody was the biggest guy at their high school. So maybe not a surprise to hear Kirby say that, but also you can't help but notice just how much positive discussion and talk there's been about loss and lucky here thus far and smart really saying this is a guy who values his own toughness he believes he's a tough guy and he's going to keep going out there and showing that for us and maybe some of that we get a chance to see on g day i do think that loss and lucky if you made a list of like the five or six guys you're probably most interested in seeing no matter how old they are true freshmen veteran players whatever else just based on the talk here thus far this spring loss and lucky's probably on that list and then if you go back and listen to the full conversation with Jeff Sintel, as I said, he kind of went into full detail on a lot of these freshman-type guys. You know, you mentioned guys like C.J. Allen. That's another one of those guys that, you know, C.J. was probably less famous than some of those other linebackers that Georgia brought in. You know, Troy Bowles has the famous last name, the son of the Tampa Bay Bucks coach. Raylan Wilson was this big, high-profile recruiting battle because Georgia went into Florida from a you know prestige program down there to get it. And so it seems like Wilson kind of had – a little more buzz around his recruitment. All C.J. Allen did was have an unbelievable high school career, really on both sides of the ball. And I think there were people, while Allen was in high school, who were saying he's underrated. And now he's in college and going through his first spring practice. And once again, 
You've got guys saying, hey, this guy is a factor. This guy is fighting for playing time. You know, Georgia may have two really good starters in the case of Juwan Dumas-Johnson and Smile Wandon, but C.J. Allen's a guy who wants to be on the football field, and that's something we've been hearing pretty consistently here, so uh, that's fun to keep in mind. Uh, and then Monroe Freeling there as well. Offensive lineman probably, you know, doesn't quite get as much uh, attention as some of these other guys we're talking about here, but you better believe – that for Georgia, and Kirby Smart's laid this out pretty clearly when he talked the other day about the competition ongoing between Austin Blasky and Ernest Green, that Georgia has been in a position for the last several years to play multiple tackles during a season because injuries are a factor here. So the Blasky-Green competition means that Georgia may have at least three good tackles. What you hope happens is that Monroe Freeling steps up and gives Georgia that fourth tackle so that not only you feel good about your two starters there at the bookend of your offensive line, but you feel really good about the two backups there too. So as an addendum to this conversation, go back and hear everything else that Jeff Sintel said on Friday, you know, more on Janelle Aguero. You know, last year you think about Malachi Starks as a, as a freshman safety was too good to keep off the field. Can Aguero be a similar version to that for Georgia here this year? Or, you know, A.J. Harris, whose time to shine really may be sometime in the future, but also one of those guys you have to consider as a part of what we think is a very deep Georgia secondary right now. A lot of names to mention. There'll be, what, 20, 20 21 of them on, on display there on Saturday. No doubt one of the most fun parts of G-Day are these guys that we've never seen before wearing a Georgia uniform. They're essentially kind of making their debut. That's a lot of the reason why folks will be tuning in on TV or traveling to Athens to see it. The national media may not know about them for whatever reason, but around here we're pretty excited about them. It's one of the things that makes us count down the days until we get to Saturday to see them with our own eyes right there at G-Day. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Then 10 a.m. after that across all of our other video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Available as a podcast, the Apple Player, Spotify, posting the show in the worldfamousdognation.com. All kinds of ways to hear the podcast. However you consume it, we're just glad you find it somehow, some way. We want to be as available as possible on as many platforms as possible. And we're so thankful that you show up here each and every day. And we're thankful for our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia who make this show possible today. And we're not just thankful for them because they've been longtime friends of ours at Dog Nation Daily, although they've been as loyal to us as anybody ever could be. But beyond that, we know they also do great work for you there as well. Your homeowner and you know taking good care of your home is one of the most important things you've got to be able to do. And that's really where our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia step in on all of this because we just had a weekend where, I mean, did you watch what was happening in the Masters uh, a couple hours down the road here? All that rain pouring there. Of course, you had the same thing going on in your house probably there too. Just rain, 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 rain. And sometimes all of that rain means water's creeping in where it's not supposed to be, in your basement, in your crawl space, in your you know garage in some cases. It either leaves residue, you know it was there, or you sort of walk down there and you see it. It's that, that puddle, that standing water, that whatever else. Well, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, they want to help you with that. When we talk about foundation and waterproofing, that's what we mean by that, is they're able to kind of make sure your home is sealed properly so that stuff doesn't get in the house because you know uh, water can do an incredible amount of damage if it's not checked, if it's not taken care of, and that's where ESOG steps in. Or when it comes to those cracks, 
you know, unsettled areas in your basement, cracks in the walls. Once again, that can be the son of a serious foundation issue. You know that. Don't put off getting it seen about. Now, it may be a simple fix, and if it is, Engineered Solutions of George, which is, after all, a solutions-based company, they'll give you the simple fix for your simple problem. But if it's more substantial, if there's more work that needs to be done, all the more reason to trust our friends at ESOG because they have an entire team of engineers on staff. They're ready to do work for you. There's nobody else in our market that puts that level of resource for you and your problem. So give them a call today. They're uh, proud partners of UGA, fun to support those that support the dogs, and they'll do great for work for you when it comes to your foundation, your waterproofing issues. So give them a call, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a solution for your foundation, your waterproofing issues. We have a very busy show coming up for you today. It's Jake Fromm before we're done, the former Georgia quarterback. Also, I'm going to make fun of Alabama a little bit today. I don't think that people are properly noticing this right now, but there is something kind of hiding in plain sight as it relates to the Crimson Tide. Maybe a sign of things kind of changing uh, there in Tuscaloosa, to use a bad pun. The tide may be turning uh, for Alabama here a little bit, and not for a good reason. If you're an Alabama fan, I'll tell you more what I mean by that before we're done on the program today. But prior to that, we'll hear from Connor Riley here in a couple of minutes. And as a setup for that conversation, let's also go around the doghouse here right now because I played just some audio a moment ago of Kirby Smart talking about Lawson Lucky uh, from his press conference on Saturday. Smart had several individual player evaluations during that press conference. It's worth your time to go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and watch the entire press conference to hear everything that Smart said ahead of Saturday one of the names in particular that Smart also talked about is another guy. This is not a freshman, so this is a little bit different type of uh, conversation. But a guy that also seems to be earning buzz, seems to be a little bit more in line for significant playing time maybe this upcoming season than he's been in the past, and that's former West Virginia transfer, the defensive back Tyke Smith. In fact, it's the emergence of Smith potentially at that star position, we're led to believe, uh, kind of that nickel back, that extra defensive back, that might give Javon Bullard a chance to slide from that spot where he started a year ago to the safety position and kind of changing the look of the Georgia secondary perhaps a bit obviously safety and replacing you know a safety that Georgia you know has lost off last year's team Christopher Smith a big part of the the story here for Georgia right now and the emergence of Tyke maybe if this is true allows Javon Buller to slide over there and play safety and that may be one of the ways in which you know some of this resolves itself here a little bit right now so what exactly is going on with Tyke Smith the guy who came to Georgia with some accolades admittedly so and Smart had some fun with that here this week uh, but has been kind of quiet thus far during his Georgia career some of that related to injury but maybe now the time is right for Tyke to kind of emerge I thought that Smart was very candid and very interesting in talking about Tyke Smith the other day during his press conference. It was a part of Around the Doghouse right now. Let's let you hear what Kirby Smart had to say. Tyke's been good. Uh, he's a leader. Um, he does a really good job punching balls out. There's things he's got to continue to work on to be able to be an every-down player for us. But he's tough. He's physical. He embodies what we want in a football player. And, uh, you know, Tyke's been through a tough road, guys. I mean, let's be honest. Before he ever got here, you guys, and I mean this in a nice way, had already labeled this guy to be an unbelievable All-American, first team, just everything, because he started as a freshman at, at West Virginia. And he, he's had to come here and compete and really earn it, and he's been through some injuries. But without the injuries, this is the most competitive environment there is to go out and play. And uh, he's, he's taken that head on, and I think he's put himself in position to have a really, really good season the way he's he's practicing live. So that's obviously very candid on the part of Smart, and I think the number one takeaway you ought to have is there 
that's incredibly complimentary of Tyke Smith. So whatever the journey has been to get to this point, I think based on what Smart says there now, knowing that Smart does not throw around these compliments, you know, lightly, that that it sounds like Tyke Smith has earned some credit for himself with the way that he's practiced thus far this spring. So the first and probably the most important takeaway of all this discussion is is good for Tyke Smith for sticking it out, being patient with himself, and good for this team for being patient with Tyke, allowing this process to play out to the point now where Tyke gets a chance to be a big contributor and helps the Georgia secondary in a number of ways because Javon Bullard's one of those guys that you're going to start him somewhere. So if Tyke's going to play and play nickelback and things like that, well, all of a sudden that gives you know Javon Bullard a chance to go fill a hole over at safety. So that becomes really, really valuable. Now, as far as what Smart says there about the media kind of blowing up Tyke a little too much when he got here, the honest truth is, and Smart doesn't acknowledge that there, but the honest truth is, is that the reason why the media treated Smith like a, uh, an All-American is because in 2020, he had been a first-team All-American by several different, you know, media entities. There's, you know, several different, you know, publications, whatnot, had made Tyke a first-team All-American. So the reason why he was treated that way is because, technically speaking, that's what he was. However, I think the fact that Tyke was, in 2020, a first-team All-American had been a freshman All-American by the Football Writers Association in 2019, but a but a you know kind of he was you know a multi you know all, you know, time you know or multiple sites had him as All-American for 2020. I think that tells us two things. First of all, it tells us this, and Smart's not going to acknowledge this or admit this, but deep down, the the proof would seem to be obvious. There is such a big difference between the Big 12 and the SEC, and a guy playing an All-American level at West Virginia doesn't mean as much as someone playing an even an all-conference level in the SEC. If you want to compare this to guys like Dominic Lovett and Ra-Ra Thomas, you know, their transfer to Georgia, I think, should be viewed as a lot more of a sure thing uh, than maybe, you know, Tyke coming here from Morgantown, West Virginia, simply because Lovett's already proven he can do it at the SEC level. And Ra-Ra Thomas has already kind of proven he can be a player on the field in the SEC level, which makes the idea of that trans- translating here at Georgia – a lot easier to understand. In the case of Ty Key playing like an All-American there in, at West Virginia in 2020, doing it in the Big 12 is just not the same thing as doing it in the SEC. And I think if you kind of listen to people who know somebody, who know somebody, who know somebody, there was a little bit of chatter when Ty Key first got here that what he had done in the Big 12 was not really translating right away here in the SEC. After that, he dealt with some injury, but it sounds like there was a little bit of growing pain for him getting used to a much higher level of play in the SEC than there was in the Big 12, and that's just a fact. Here's the other thing, too, and this kind of extends this beyond just Tyke Smith. We have so many examples right now of stuff that happened in 2020 not exactly translating to 2021 or 2022 or 2023. In this case, we're talking about a 2020 All-American that had a hard time matching that once football kind of got back to normal, so to speak, in 2021 or 2022. There are a lot of examples of that around college football, and some of that's even with that 2021 signing class who were in high school, seniors there in that 2020 season. This we're all trying to make evaluations, sort of figure out what's going on around college football, making sense of what happened in 2020, either with guys who emerged as big time recruits in the year of 2020 or stuff that happened on the college football field in 2020. A lot of that is not exactly translating very well to 2021 and 2022 and the current year we're in right now. So the more we can understand that what took place in 2020 may have just sort of been a one off that exists in some alternate universe somewhere. I think the better chance we have of making sense of what's currently happening in college football. So just something to keep in mind there. And that is around the doghouse here today. Now, before we're done, we got uh, Jake Fromm, the former Georgia quarterback, lined up and ready to go. That's going to be fun. I told you we'll make fun of Alabama a little bit here today, too. 
But for now, on everything you need to know to get ready for G-Day on Saturday, let's bring back Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Looking forward to having Connor Riley here today and kind of covering everything to get ready for G-Day on Saturday. Uh, Connor, we um, heard a little bit from Kirby Smart there a moment ago before you joined us. So before I get into everything else, let me bring you in on this. I think it's good news that you're hearing good things about Tyke Smith. And, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, different people may have different reasons for why it hasn't happened up until now. But the fact that it seems like it is happening right now, not the fact that he's going to be an All-American or anything like that, but just a guy who's maybe a capable player that allows you to use Javon Bullard as, as a safety, that's what you want to do. I think the emergence of Tyke Smith here this spring, I think it has to be taken as one of the good pieces of news to come out of spring practice for Georgia thus far. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and not to you know hyperanalyze it, but I, I thought the tone with which Kirby Smart took, I think, was probably the most encouraging thing. Because I mean, look, you know, not everyone in the media liked it when he said it, but like he was right, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone. There were a lot of people that are hyped up, Tyke Smith, thinking he'd come in here and do what he did at West Virginia, and I think as you just laid out there, that, that's not the reality. And, and so for him to you know continue to work through some of his issues, which haven't just been uh, limited to the injury situation that he sustained when he tore his ACL during that 2021 season, for him to continue to working and make the improvements uh, that we've seen and we've heard him do so far this year, I think that's a big thing for this Georgia defense. We, we knew someone was going to need to step up in that secondary, either at that safety position or at that star position, knowing that you have Javon Bullard who could probably play both. And for it to be Tyke Smith, a guy who's been in the program now for, I think this is his third season, his second spring here, I think it's an encouraging sign of what you have in a guy with a veteran who. Yes, he's played big-time college football before, maybe not done it at an SEC level uh, as has been outlined before, but the fact that he's making these strides and the fact that, quite frankly, he stuck with it when it, there may not have been an incentive for him to do so where you know he came here with the idea that he was going to play for his position coach and Jamila die. Adai leaves after one season, and it was pretty clear that that relationship between Georgia and Adai didn't necessarily go the way I think a lot of people intended it to. For, for Tyke to stick it out, keep getting better, and potentially put himself in a position where he can be a contributor to this team, I think speaks to the maturity level and the development that we've seen Tyke over the course of his now Georgia career. Off the top of the show, we talked about freshmen to watch for G-Day on Saturday. There's obviously a long list of them, and some of them have been pretty buzzy thus far this spring. So if I were to ask you, small handful of names you're most interested in, these can be the obvious choices, these can be off-the-radar choices, it's really wherever you want to take it. Uh, what freshmen are on your mind ahead of Saturday? I think Jordan Hall comes to mind here. And, again, I don't know what we're going to see from a defensive line in this game where you can't actually hit the quarterback and you're not going to be running the ball that much. Uh, but he's a guy you, you hear Kirby speak this talk this past weekend about, you know, I don't know if we have any game breakers or game records that are on the defensive line. I'll be interested in what we see from him just given what we've seen uh, from that position going forward. I think Damon Wilson is similarly is a guy who I think he's the farthest along of those freshmen and side linebackers. It's a really young position group on a whole and Wilson is the guy that I think a lot of people expect to come in and play right away. And so, you know, I don't think he's going to finish with a sack or anything along the lines of that. But just how does he look out there? Does he look like he understands what he's doing and, quite frankly, doesn't look lost? I think that'll be something that I'm really looking forward to seeing there. Those two guys on that defensive front seven, I think that's the chance, especially on the line of scrimmage, particularly with the defensive line and outside linebacker position. That's probably the chance where freshmen are going to have the best opportunity to play and make an impact. 
uh, on the defensive side of the ball with the way this team is built. And so I don't think Jordan Hall and, and Damon Wilson, yes, are the two highest-ranked defensive players that Georgia signed in this past class. But for obvious reasons, I think that's why I'm so interested in seeing them. So let me ask you about that for a second because I, and I probably should have played this audio a little earlier. Kirby talking about Damon Wilson on Saturday, and maybe I'm overanalyzing here, but – that didn't really hit me in the feels. You know, I, I didn't quite get that, like, you know, tingling sensation about the way in which uh, Kirby is talking about Damon Wilson, and I'm probably overanalyzing that, but you, you kind of used tone of voice as, as a way of, oh, you know, Kirby, not only was he saying nice things about Tyke Smith, but he was sort of saying it in an emphatic way. I didn't quite get that same vibe with the Kirby on Damon Wilson thing from the other day. Am I reading that the wrong way? No. And because, so, you know, the guy that asked that question and he and I were, were mapping out, you know, questions to ask during the press conference. And we had, and we're going through, you know, freshman talk, talk to talk about and things like that. And when we brought up that Damon Wilson hadn't been asked about, I'm like, well, I mean, it, it's right to ask him about him specifically because for obvious reasons. Sure. But I can tell you, Kirby, Kirby's not going to say anything to single him out as an individual there. And lo and behold, that is exactly what ended up happening there. And I, I think the big thing with Damon is going to be, the rest of this offseason. It's not necessarily so much getting his feet under him this spring and what he was going to do. I did not expect him to be a quick study in the same way that, say, Boston Lucky has been at the tight end position for Georgia. Uh, I think this the rest of this offseason where he's able to go through the strength and conditioning program in the month of August where your head's not quite swimming as much as it is during spring practice. I think that's going to be a much bigger time for Damon Wilson because the other thing to factor in here is He's just seeing a lot more and being asked to do a lot more than, quite frankly, I think he's going to be asked to do during the regular season when you're going to have Marvin Jones Jr. back, you're going to have Jalen Walker back. You're a little bit deeper at that outside linebacker position. So while I still think Damon Wilson can and, and ultimately will carve out a role for Georgia this year, it's not going to be what he's being asked to do during spring practice. And so I, I think with Damon, and again, that's why I'm interested in seeing how Georgia necessarily goes about using him. We saw last year in this spring game, Jalen Walker sort of make some headway with what he was able to do as a pass rusher, and then that shows up again, especially late in the season in games against Ohio State and TCU. I wonder if Damon Wilson can maybe follow in that trajectory, as opposed to being, you know, the superstar five-star freshman that comes in and, like Michael Williams a year ago, is playing on a down-by-down basis. And then on the subject of Jordan Hall, we had Terrence Edwards in the show a couple of weeks ago, and he had a chance to see Georgia practice. And he raved about Jordan Hall, really thought he could be kind of the next one in terms of what this defensive line has been. Is that pretty consistent with what you're maybe hearing in other avenues there as well, that that obviously Georgia has itself a pretty impressive prospect? Now, how long it takes for that to emerge on the actual football field this fall? Who knows? But early buzz on Jordan Hall, would you say that's pretty consistent with what Terrence told us from having seen practice the other day? I would, and I think the thing that I fall guilty to sometimes is, you know, and Jeff does a great job of covering these guys, writing about them, and so when I go and see them as freshmen, I think unfortunately a lot of times I'm comparing them to the guys that they're tasked with replacing. So like last year, for example, when Michael Williams came in, I'm like, eh, I don't know if the Trayvon Walker comparisons are necessarily fair, just given how starkly different they were physically. So when Jordan Hall comes in and, and you're thinking, oh, this maybe this guy could be a guy that develops into a Jalen Walker or Jalen Carter, excuse me, type player, and you see him, he's a little bit bigger than Jalen, he's a little doughier. Um, I, I, I think Jordan Hall, by the end of it, as he continues to get his body right, as he continues to you know ramp up and become a more college player and transition from being a high school player, I think he's got everything that you look for. And Jeff has written about this before, but the thing that 
makes Jordan Hall a little bit unique. You know, a lot of these guys, and Georgia does a good job of recruiting for this, uh, of coming from state championship winning programs or big-time winning programs. Jordan Hall's high school team, I think, won four games over his last two years. And so he is hungry for to contribute to a winning yeah, program, and I think point. that is going to help him and help his transition to college football because that's not something he's going to take for granted that maybe other guys would. And he's going to enjoy the process of winning and all that it takes that goes into that. And I think as a freshman, that's something that you want to have, a guy that is eager to want to contribute to a winning program in any way or shape or form. And I think that's going to help him get on the field and be a player for this team. This I, think that, I think that's a really good point. I, I do. Uh, th- thus far this spring, I think you and I have been kind of the same mind here as it relates to quarterback situations, specifically with Brock Vandegrift. And I want to make you know, two quick points to you about Vandegrift and give you a chance to just talk about this however you want to. I think that Brock Vandegrift is the single most interesting slash important player for Georgia on Saturday. And I kind of think that for two reasons. Reason number one is, is I don't know that the G-Day format, as we understand it, necessarily sets up perfectly for his skill set because some of what Vandergriff would do well in a real football game, 11-on-11 in the fall, is use his legs to make a pass rusher miss and keep a play alive to throw it or actually run for positive yardage. And on a day like Saturday, there isn't as much opportunity for that. So if he plays well in this format, which kind of restricts some of his skill set, then I start to take it very seriously that he could win this quarterback job. And then if he also plays well, it kind of becomes one of those things, well, if Carson Beck then wins the job having seen Vandergrift do well during the spring, then I just think that adds credibility to Carson Beck as the starting quarterback. Whereas if Vandergrift doesn't play well, then it kind of makes you, I don't know, think a little bit different about some of this kind of stuff. So no matter who the starting quarterback ends up being for Georgia this year, I think that Vandergrift is the more interesting of the two on Saturday. Plus, we have just seen less of him, which makes him to a degree more interesting there as well. Based on some of the stuff you've written, I think you may agree with me on that. But do you kind of get where I'm coming from on Brock from that standpoint? Yeah, I think you touched on it there. The biggest thing is just we haven't really seen Brock do a whole lot, and a lot of that was because this past year, Carson Beck was the number two quarterback, and Carson, when we, when reporters spoke to him last week when I was on vacation, uh, he, he, he laid out that, you know, that experience he got last year was a big help for him in terms of knowing how to prepare and knowing what, you know, live action reps look like, and based on what I've heard coming out of this spring, like, do I expect Carson Beck still to be the starter? Yeah, but Relative to expectations, it sounds like Brock has probably had a little bit better of a spring. That's not to say that Carson has had a bad spring. He hasn't. But, but Brock has made, I think, the strides necessary to where you enter the fall saying, there's a world where both these guys go out and end up winning this. I do think you're correct in your point that I think Brock's game is a little bit more tailored to, to a, an actual game-like situation, which is why I ultimately kind of think – George's going to feel comfortable letting this bleed into the regular season. And ultimately, while, yes, Carson may get the first first reps to start a game, they're going to put Brock Vandergriff in there because what his mobility brings, and Kirby has talked about this, and mobility being a bigger part of what he looks for in a quarterback, you know, that ability to run around and escape and purposely do it, it was huge for Stetson Bennett in his development as a player, and it got him on the field. And then you saw Georgia use that as a weapon last season. If Georgia has Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, and Gunnar Stockton all on the roster this fall, as I expect them to do so, I don't think Brock Vandergriff is going to end up transferring out. I think that's going to allow Georgia to have some of the freedom to have a more mobile quarterback. And let's say they're going to call, you know, 10 quarterback runs a game, but they're going to feel comfortable with Carson, you know, scrambling and picking up a few yards here or there. They're going to feel very comfortable doing a read option in the red zone area with Brock Vandergriff. So I think largely, yes, you know, 
his, his skill set might not be on full display on Saturday, but the larger point that Brock Vandergriff has been the most interesting player this spring, and I think you're going to see that again on Saturday where, yes, people are going to be eager to see what Carson Beck does, but when Brock Vandergriff is out there, especially when he's out there with the first-team offense, there's going to be a little bit more, hmm, what, what are we going to see from this guy from those watching on him? Yeah, I want to ask you about one more subject before we let you go, but to kind of follow up on this real quick, I'm going to give you a hotter take than a spring game probably deserves, but based on all of this, to me, that puts a little bit of pressure on Carson Beck on Saturday. You're the more experienced player in this competition. You've been here now for a while. You're the expected starter. I think there is a little bit of pressure on Carson on Saturday to step out there on G-Day. The game's on television. Uh, you know, Stan's going to be pretty full, my, my understanding is, to go out there and, and look like clearly the better between these two. You know, it may be silly to think about pressure in a game that doesn't really count, but I think if you're a Carson Beck fan or if you are Carson Beck himself, demonstrating some space between you and Vandergriff on Saturday, I think Carson would do well by himself if he's capable to do that, capable of doing that. Yeah, I, I've long held the line that Georgia wants Carson Beck to go out there and win the job. And so I think a big part of that would be him going out and playing well on Saturday, looking good in G-Day. And while, yes, Brock Vandergriff has had, I think, over the course of 14 practices, comparatively speaking, a, a better spring, if Carson Beck goes out there and looks good, which I'd like to point out, he has looked good in the last two spring games that he has played. There was a reason coming out of 2021 that he was the clear number two quarterback and then did so again last season. He's played well in this format before. I think it's tailored to what he wants to do. Georgia's going to throw the football a lot and lean on that passing game with what they have along with the injuries they have at the running back position right now. So I, there is, yes, some pressure on Carson Beck to go out that perform. I think he knows that. He understands that. And given his own history at Georgia, there's reason for him to want to go out there and show people that, hey, there's a reason why people think I'm going to be the starting quarterback for this team, and that's going to leave a lot of people talking throughout the rest of the offseason because this is probably going to be the last time on a wide-scale notice that a lot of people get a chance to look at Carson Beck and what he can ultimately do. All right, last thing for you, we can make this kind of quick. I certainly appreciate your time. Uh, the other day, Nicole Auerbach, who's a writer for The Athletic, had a tweet about maybe people not realizing that what we thought was going to be a spring transfer portal window opening on May 1st was actually slated to open April 15th. I haven't heard a lot of chatter about that since then. And I don't mean to put you on the spot about this, Connor, but is your understanding that the portal does open really right after G-Day, essentially? And I guess, how busy do you think that could be for Georgia on both sides of that door with players maybe looking around and with maybe Georgia doing a little bit of looking around itself? Uh, what do you think about the upcoming spring transfer portal window, which will be the hot story one way or another post-G-Day? Yeah, uh, the window is open from the 15th to the 30th of April. That is my understanding. It has been moved up uh, those days. Uh, I, I don't think Georgia's going to bring anyone else in. I think they know what they have in this team, along with, I believe, the seven other uh, you know, 2023 signings that are going to come in this offseason. I would naturally expect probably three or four guys to, to end up hitting the portal, and that's just the reality of you're at a big-time program like Georgia where playing time is limited. We saw guys last year, Tymon Mitchell was a perfect example of this, a guy who went through spring practice with Georgia, sort of saw the writing on the wall, found a new home at TCU relatively quickly, and proved to be a big-time contributor for them. You're probably going to see three or four guys do that again. I know those, in, those of us in the media, we have our list of guys that we could possibly see transferring out as a consideration there. And look, there are examples of guys who you know go on the fence and see what they might do. They end up staying and end up playing a bigger role. So, I do expect this transfer portal window to sort of swing one way. I don't think it's going to be super busy. It's certainly not going to be what it was in 
uh, in the month of January there for Georgia where they had 10 players out of the portal. But I would expect maybe around three or four guys in part to, to just look around and say, you know, I don't think it's going to happen here. More veteran guys than necessarily young players. We haven't seen a whole lot of that at Georgia, and I would expect that to be the case and, with regards to the transfer. And portal. then very quickly, uh, you know, when you look at Georgia opponents, we've already heard from Hugh Freeze the last couple of days. I mean, it sounds like he might be looking for five starters in the transfer portal. Last year, that level of player, at least in that quantity, just wasn't there. I think Florida wanted to do that last year and couldn't. I think they'd like to do it now. They, they're about to lose even more offensive linemen, it seems, and their offensive line's already pretty thin. I realize that you don't have a crystal ball. You can't necessarily you know, predict this. But how much do you think a Georgia opponent might still be able to help themselves and bring in some you know, SEC-level players? Do you think a team that Georgia slated to play this season has a chance of dramatically changing their roster prior to the start of the season with this current transfer portal window that's about to start? Because Hugh Freeze has at, said he wants to. At this point, I just don't think there's going to be enough guys in the transfer portal that, that fit those sort of parameters to do that. You might see a few guys. I know there's talk of, you know, maybe some of the guys that wanted to enter the transfer portal in January and play elsewhere have improved their academic status, and that has allowed them to go look elsewhere. But ultimately, I, I just don't think, and with what we've seen so far from the transfer portal, this post-spring window is just not as deep or as wide, rather, as the January one is. And so if you're making, trying to make wholesale changes, which it sounds like Florida – and uh, uh, Auburn are trying to do, I don't think that's a wise scenario. And I think maybe this window is, you know, can we get one or two more pieces to sort of help us from a depth standpoint than necessarily can we make wholesale changes to help improve our talent level? Connor, it is great to have you back on the show. Really, really good stuff as always. Thanks so much for your time, and I look forward to reading you more at dognation.com. And, of course, seeing you Saturday in Athens for G-Day. That's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, great coverage from Dog Nation all throughout the day there then. So we appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So to follow up on what Connor and I were just talking, this is what it's going to come down to. If teams like Florida, if teams like Auburn, even a team like Tennessee, I would think, in this conversation, South Carolina is in this conversation. South Carolina hosted a high-profile grad transfer the other day. If these teams that Georgia are playing on the upcoming schedule who would like to help themselves through the transfer portal to get the kind of quantity that they're looking for, I mean, we had the quote for you from Freeze of the day talking about five starters, you know, level players they'd like to bring, including multiple offensive linemen. To get something like that to happen, you'd have to have surprise players entering the portal. Guys we don't expect, guys who seem entrenched at their current school, and I'm taking this beyond Georgia, you'd have surprise-level players entering the portal for schools like Auburn to get as many guys they're looking for, or maybe a Tennessee or a South Carolina, Florida, these teams that seem to be a few players away from actual contention. Um, it would take a bunch of surprise names landing in the portal for that to really give itself a chance to happen. Could it take place? It did not occur a year ago. And that's what I think the question is going to be. For this spring portal, which we believe has now moved up and begins essentially right after G-Day, is it crazier than it was this time a year ago? Because this time a year ago, it actually turned out to be a little less crazy than people anticipated it being. How crazy will it be around this time? I mean, I literally would only be guessing. I, I, I don't know, but it will be a fascinating couple of weeks here and probably pretty busy on the college football news front. Now, we'll talk more about that as it becomes necessary. For now, though, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And while we're thinking about transfer portals and things like that, we're also thinking about the Dog Nation cruise coming up April 24th to the 28th. We're so excited about that. Cannot uh, wait for it. It's going to be 
uh, a truly, truly great time. Final night of the cruise, the big draft party, and so many special Dog Nation events we have planned there for that. For those of you who are going to be on board with us, uh, love the fact that you will be. We just heard from a Dog Nation guy yesterday, too, one of our uh, viewers, who said he actually just got back from Independence of the Sea. So what I love is, is that not only do we have hundreds of people joining us here for this Dog Nation cruise coming up in a couple of weeks, so many of you taking my advice and booking your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation to enjoy everything that Royal Caribbean has to offer right now, whether it be the three-night, four-night cruises like Independence of the Seas goes on, or one of its sister ships, Mariner of the Seas, kind of does the same thing out of Port Canaveral, or one of those seven-night sailings, maybe on an Oasis-class ship like I was able to enjoy back in February. Just so many great options for you with a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And the other thing that I love is, right now, so many of you also trusting Jessica Slater, travel agent specially selected to, for us by Royal Caribbean to help with all of that. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and she'll get you ready to go with all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs all right before we talk to jake from in about five minutes let's get ready to go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean right now and i told you if you're an alabama fan i think there's bad news out there for you today have you seen the reporting that cliff kingsbury obviously most recently former arizona cardinals coach prior to that head coach at texas tech cliff kingsbury appears to be on his way to joining the usc staff as a quality control analyst expected to work with the quarterbacks not an on-field coach but kind of a quality control analyst some people have wondered, ooh, what does this mean for USC's recruitment of five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola? I actually don't know that it means much of anything here right now, if I had to guess. This may be good news for Caleb Williams this season or Malachi Nelson. Uh, they're kind of waiting the wings of the backup. You know, Kingsbury obviously knows the quarterback position. I don't know how much this impacts the recruitment of Raiola. If I had to assume, it probably doesn't impact it very much at all. But here's what I do think, though. If I'm an Alabama fan, I'm pretty worried right now because when Alabama was looking for an offensive coordinator and finally settled on a guy like Tommy Reese, who did not move the needle for anybody coming from Notre Dame, the big names that were out there that Alabama might chase down, we had national reporters the likes of Pete the Mel from ESPN saying that Cliff Kingsbury was not a realistic name for Alabama because this is what Alabama's done in the past. When Alabama needed an upgrade in its offense, they went out there and got high-profile Lane Kiffin in 2014. That's a former USC head coach, former Tennessee head coach, that Alabama brought in as an offensive coordinator. When it needed an offensive coordinator, it got big name. Same thing with Steve Sarkeesian. Kiffin moved on. Maybe Nick Saban was ready for him to move on. But when they moved off of Nick Saban, they're they kind of moving, or I should say, moving off of uh, Lane Kiffin for that national championship game. You had Steve Sarkeesian. And then you had Steve Sarkeesian, your offensive coordinator, that, that uh, at least eventually a couple of years later, that when Alabama has needed the, the new coach in place, it's been the big name they've turned to. And Cliff Kingsbury was sort of the big name available to them at the time. And we were told national media saying for Alabama, oh, that's not realistic for you right now. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't want to be in college football. And yet we find out now, well, actually, Kingsbury does want to work in college. He just doesn't want to work at Alabama. He doesn't want to be an offensive coordinator at Alabama, wants to go to USC. Now, some of this is a slightly more complicated than I'm making it be. I, you know, if you're Kingsbury and you want that buyout check from the Cardinals, you have to make it look like you're trying to get a job. So being an analyst somewhere at least makes it seem like you're trying to get a job. So that may be why Kingsbury is even working at all 
But the idea that Nick Saban's gravitational pull does not bring the biggest name available into his orbit. A guy like Kingsbury wanted to hitch his wagon to Nick Saban. Apparently, that was a non-starter. Kingsbury was in the, what, the Philippines, wherever it was that he was, Thailand, wherever it was that he was, uh, totally unresponsive to any of those rumors at the time, connecting him to the Alabama offensive coordinator job. He didn't want it, didn't want any part of Nick Saban, does not want to be attached to the final kind of you know one final shot at glory. What is it they say about the PGA Championship? Glory's last shot. Sort of feels like we're at least that's what they used to say about the PGA when it was in August. Um, uh, the point is, is that this sort of feels like Glory's last shot for Nick Saban and uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Apparently, didn't want to be any part of that whatsoever, but he is going to go work at USC. If I am a uh, Alabama fan, I'm a little bit concerned about that right now because that used to be the kind of coach that Alabama could attract, the big name who wanted to to, to rehabilitate his image and rehabilitate his his coaching, uh, you know, uh, reputation. That used to be the way this kind of stuff went down, but that's not the way it's going down with uh, with Alabama and Cliff Kingsbury right now. Kingsbury apparently going to USC to be a quality control analyst. Crimson Tide seemingly swinging and missing, maybe on a big name they could have attracted as offensive coordinator. I was going to do a thing on Paul Feinbaum. He said something very interesting about uh, Auburn and Hugh Freeze. I think that's an interesting enough topic that I want to save that probably for tomorrow because um, I think what's probably better to do right now is stay on track, stay on schedule, and get ready to bring the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm into the program here today because there's a lot I want to talk to Jake Fromm about as it relates to G-Day and kind of as it relates to what we'll see from quarterbacks in particular on G-Day. So let me save the uh, the Auburn topic. Uh, I do think Auburn is, uh, is is interesting here. Let me save that and get ready to bring in Jake Fromm here today. Of course, it's brought to you by Kroger. We call it our Kroger Fresh Take with Jake Fromm on the program. And as we said, when you look ahead to G-Day on Saturday, I'll talk to Connor Riley about this a moment ago. So much of what's going to go down with quarterback is is going to be fascinating. And I think a lot of this is sort of driven by what happens with Brock Vandegrift and kind of the overall picture of, you know, do these two guys that we think are competing to be the starting quarterback, are they kind of capable of putting on kind of a nice show for fans? And what does that mean about the rest of the competition as it takes place during the summer? For more on that now, let's do our Kroger Fresh Take and let's bring on Jake from here today on Dog Nation Daily. Jake, it's so good to have you on the program here today. We hope you're doing well, and I'm sure you're like the rest of us, curious about what G-Day is going to look like on Saturday. Hey, Brandon, what's going on? Glad to be here. Super excited for G-Day. It's going to be a fun day. So let me tell you what I told uh, one of our other guests earlier on the show. To me, Brock Vandegrift may be the most interesting player for Georgia on Saturday, and that's not meant to disrespect you know Carson Beck in any way, but we've seen less of Vandegrift over the years than we've seen uh, of Carson Beck. I think the format is probably one of those things that maybe doesn't fully highlight Vandegrift's full skill set because he's a little bit of a runner, and in a game in which you're not tackling quarterbacks to ground, he doesn't get to show that quite as much. So if he can stand there and kind of you know go tit for tat in terms of delivering the football in more of a traditional passing sense, that to me only increases the likelihood that maybe this summer he can make a real push at actually competing to be the starting quarterback here. You know, obviously we'll see how all that plays out, but do you kind of understand where I'm coming from when I say I think that Vandegrift is a fascinating player to watch on Saturday? Yeah, 100%. Uh, completely agree with you. It's kind of that allure of the unknown. You know, we've seen Carson come in, play in games, done well, got the big arm, uh, made some good throws, uh, but it's just kind of this, this unknown element where it's like, hey, what, what exactly is Brock Vandegrift? Um, you know, like you alluded to earlier, 
the quarterbacks being in different color jerseys, not going to be able to see the full skill set of Brock and what he can do with his legs. But, you know, I, I kind of see Brock maybe even being a, a Stetson on steroids, a, mm-hmm. a bigger body, even more athletic. Gosh, it's kind of, really it's kind of tough to say, more athletic than Stetson, more athletic than Stetson, um, and be able to make some off-schedule plays. And uh, I think it will be really fun to watch. And then uh, don't, don't count uh, Gunnar Watson out either. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Uh, seems like Gunners enjoyed quite a bit of positive buzz here thus far, and in the game right now. And look, we'll talk about Carson back in a moment because there's plenty of good things to say about him. But in the the game of college football as it is right now, I mean, how valuable is it if you can keep those plays alive? Even if you're not, you don't have to be Lamar Jackson. Just a guy like Joe Burrow who could use his footwork just well enough to buy himself more time to throw the ball, or you know, as you said, Stetson Bennett at times doing those same things for Georgia. That when you do have that dimension of athleticism, even even a, a degree of, of that, that it just kind of increases your chance of giving yourself more times to throw, or, or 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 giving that defense one more thing to think about, right? Yeah, I mean, I I can. What Coach Smart wants, what Kirby wants, is he wants a guy that he can put out there that he trusts to make the play that they're asking them to make, and then two to four times a game get them out of trouble. You know, scramble, get a first down on third down. So that that's what Kirby wants. Kirby wants a guy he can get out there, uh, trust to make the plays that they're asking him to make, uh, and just a few times a game get them out of trouble. That's what Stetson did so great last year, and then really. The, the kind of the, the evolution of Stetson, you know, kind of early in his career of making a few uh, kind of boneheaded decisions, maybe a few bad plays. And then, man, as he progressed, as he experienced, uh, as he got um, some gains under his belt, man, he, he really eliminated those kind of plays and just said, hey, I'm just going to scramble a little bit right here, get our guys a first down. Uh, hey, let's move the chains and, and go score a touchdown. I'm not a former quarterback, so I can't truly know how quarterbacks think. But if I was to put myself in the mind of Carson Beck on Saturday, I feel like I'm probably feeling a little bit of pressure right now. I want to go out there and demonstrate as a guy my fourth year in the program, as a guy who we see on video all the time, you know, making really pretty throws. We've even seen that from him in some of the time he's gotten a chance to play for Georgia this past season there as well. Because of all that, maybe I'm putting a little bit of pressure on myself of, hey, I've got to go out there and demonstrate that I'm leading this quarterback competition, that I'm kind of the 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 obvious and, and inevitable choice to eventually be name starter, and I'm going to display some, some, some space between myself and Brock Vandegrift on Saturday. I'm going to demonstrate that I'm ahead of him by how I play on television and in front of tens of thousands of fans in the stadium on Saturday. How much true pressure do you think Beck probably feels going into a game like this? I mean, I hate to say it, but there is definitely a lot more pressure on Carson than the other two guys um, because he is he's the guy that is, who's going to be running out with the one, the guy they're expecting to be the guy, uh, a guy that should be the guy. So, um, look, uh, as uh, – uh, the quarterbacks, the way it kind of goes in that room right now, everybody's looking at Carson uh, to be the guy. And, uh, I mean, sadly enough, I mean, that, that's where the pressure is going to be. It's going to be on him. And um, if I'm Brock, if I'm Gunner right now, I'm going to go out and play free and play my game. Tell me how you think that Georgia does view G-Day internally, not just for this quarterback competition, but just generally speaking. Because on the one hand, you know, there are fans in the stands. There is – you know, TV presence there, so you can approximate a real game. 
But on the other hand, to make more of this than like, say, some of the controlled scrimmages that have taken place the weeks prior to this, maybe that kind of leads you to a small sample size and kind of a false positive of believing that something's true that isn't. So how does the program view G-Day? And as a player yourself, you know, how did you approach this in comparison to one of those games in the fall when you go out there and play a different opponent? Yeah, I think uh, the nature of G-Day um, and, and what the players are going to think about it, I, I mean, everything's kind of coming from Coach Smart. And I, I tell you, he thinks a ton of this game. Uh, he loves it. He loves the atmosphere. He loves the fans show up at this game. Uh, and it's an opportunity for him and the coaches to be able to see uh, players who I – mean, are, are these guys going to be able to play and play even better in front of, in front of people, in front of thousands of people? Uh, are they going to shut down and they're going to make more mistakes? Are they going to think more? Uh, and, and, and really kind of shrivel up in, in the essence of pressure. So uh, he thinks it's a big deal. It's a very good finishing test to finish the spring practice. Uh, and I think uh, Coach Smart and the coaches definitely put a lot in this game. There is a little bit of a trend that has kind of emerged lately about people sort of saying something about spring games. I want to get your opinion on this coming up in just a moment. Before that, let me remind folks that this is our uh, Kroger Fresh Take with Jake Fromm here each and every Tuesday on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, Kroger not only bringing uh, Mr. Fromm to us each week, they also provide you great savings opportunities throughout the week there at Kroger there as well. In fact, using the Internet and all kinds of digital capabilities do this there as well, that you can go digital right now and save even more at Kroger when you download the Kroger app, when you use the Kroger website, you can kind of sign up and start getting those exclusive digital coupons right now. So go to Kroger.com slash sign up for more on that. Kroger.com slash sign up for more on that. So Jake, to finish up here today, I don't know if you've seen this, but I guess Hugh Freeze, the Auburn coach, started this. But a lot of folks have kind of weighed in since then. But the notion that you might play a different opponent than just an inter-squad scrimmage for a spring game, maybe even one of those in-state teams or something like that. As a former player yourself and a guy who still loves college football, how would you feel about the idea of not being red team versus black team, but Georgia versus Georgia State or Georgia Southern or some team like that for spring game? Do you think that would be a better situation for you, Jay, and other teams that might consider that? So it's a very interesting take, uh, and I think it. Just watching the trends of football over the last couple of years, uh, you know, a lot of times trends come from the NFL and they come and they trickle back down through college and then back to high school. But sometimes, as of late, I feel like there's a lot of trends that have kind of started in high school and then trends back up um, into college and then into the NFL. And I feel like this may be one of those trends where kind of started in high school, right? You're yeah. You know, uh, you're playing a spring game against each other. Well, now high school, and especially in the state of Georgia, other states were doing this, but now Georgia gets to go out uh, and, and they get to play opponents for their spring game. Well, now it's, it's starting to become a talk uh, for colleges as well. So I think it'd be super interesting. I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be really neat uh, for these smaller colleges um, to be able to come up uh, and play and uh, I, 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 it'd be fun to watch. I, I would too in it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, yeah. I love Georgia. I'm gonna click on G Day regardless. But I think it would just add an even more cool element as a fan to be able to watch and get to play against somebody uh, in a little bit more competitive environment for me tuning in and watching jake i totally agree i think it's a really interesting point i'm glad to hear you say what you said well listen i hope you enjoy the game on saturday we love your thoughts on it here each and every week in the program so have a great week we'll look forward to talking to you again soon brandon thank you very much have a good one good stuff from jake from before we wrap up today i want to kind of explain a little bit what jake was talking about there so in high school football now teams for their spring games they do play 
other teams. And these are typically speaking like big team against big team in, in high school football. For instance, our buddy Terrence Edwards, who uh, joins us every Thursday, the former great George wide receiver, he's also a part of the coaching staff at Milton, one of the top you know, 7A programs in Georgia. And, you know, Milton was actually looking for a spring game opponent. And I talked to Terrence the other day. I said, do you guys ever find a game to play? He said, yeah, we're going to play Cass. And Cass is this, you know, really good program at the northwest part of the state. Scovey White, who's on his way to Georgia as a wide receiver. He plays uh, for uh, for uh, uh, Cass. Uh, so that's like you've got like Milton Cass, two teams that would never play. They're not in the same classification. They're, you know, not even the same part of the state. And yet you're going to have a spring game between those two teams that's what Georgia high school football does now so from that standpoint what Jake is saying is hey what you see happening at the high school level you could just see that happening at the college level the NFL obviously has its preseason game but you also have those like like summer camp things where teams will travel and they'll work with each other for a for a few days uh there sometimes too so it's not like other levels of play aren't doing some version of this really it's college football who's the outlier and they don't do this kind of thing at all there is no preseason football there is no opponent for spring games the other levels both below and above college football are kind of doing this so this is one of those things that feels like the kind of thing we just sort of talk about in the offseason to have something to talk about but at the same time you know Deion Sanders is waiting on this now uh, a, a number of coaches are talking more about this and so this is one of those things that while it kind of feels like sort of a manufactured contrived topic the more actual coaches start weighing on this the more you start to say well if y'all want to do it then how come you just don't and so maybe one day we actually will so interesting to hear Jake speak uh uh, as forcefully for that as he did, kind of an example of what seems to be a lot of positive momentum for this discussion. We'll see where it kind of goes from here. Uh, but interesting stuff there from Jake Fromm as part of our Kroger Fresh Take. All right, to wrap up here today, I want to show you our golden shoe. And this golden shoe requires a little bit of explaining here because it kind of relates to two different topics we've addressed as of late on the show. So let me show you this uh, here right now. So uh, Josh Santy Thorne sends this to me on Twitter. This is a couple days ago. He says, here's an anonymous coach thinking that Stetson Bennett was going to soft throw that first pitch at the Braves opener. He goes, hashtag golden shoe, hashtag go dogs. So this kind of touches on three topics we've addressed here as of late. First of all, we have a real aversion to anonymous coaches right now because it seems like the only anonymous coaches that ESPN ever quotes are ones who want to absolutely trash Georgia. So there's that that Josh kind of touches on. Also, the Stetson Bennett uh, opening pitch for the Braves in the home opener last Thursday where he went from the rubber 60 feet 6 inches. You'll give him a lot of credit for that. But also the the image here of the fancy guy letting his monocle drop into his soup. This is one of those things that we also talked about from the uh, conversation between Kirby Smart and uh, Coach K the other day, where Coach K was just aghast. I mean, he was just uh, flabbergasted, uh, you know, clutching his pearls and falling onto his fainting couch about Kirby Smart talking about wanting to beat the other team so bad they wanted to quit. The two personalities there, Kirby and Coach K together, that is a quite a contrast, none, none, uh, no doubt. So Josh kind of touching on a lot of recent topics there with his golden shoe submission so we will give him a well-earned golden shoe for that and then we'll tell you our gator hater countdown today how about this even 200 good nice round numbers always great to see and by the way always fun to think about this game getting even closer uh cocktail party takes place and even 200 days from right now and that is going to be a bad day to be a gator but you already know that we will see you tomorrow everybody dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia